Good morning. Everybody's favorite theoretical physicist, Albert Einstein, once said, logic will get you from A to B, but imagination will take you everywhere. I think I, I proved that to be pretty true as a kid, at least everywhere in my mind. My imagination was pretty wild. It was kind of rampant. If I had to spend time just alone in my room for a couple hours, I was fine as long as I had my action figures because I could do elaborate battles that just went on and on and on. If we were camping and we brought our bikes, a, a simple bike ride turned into a Star Wars adventure where I'm speeding through the forest moon of Endor. And even the drive to school in the morning, as my mom's driving me to my elementary school, I distinctly remember always imagining that one of the Ninja Turtles was on a skateboard going through the hills and grinding on fences and all that, all the way there. It made it so much fun. Imagination for a child is a, an incredible thing. And it's fun as a dad to get to watch my four kids as they really turn loose their imagination. Pretty soon, one's Tarzan and others are gorillas and Jane and they're dressed in costumes and they're playing for hours. And it's fun to see as they get lost into that world. And so I want you to imagine with me for a moment that a kid with this pretty rampant imagination uh, hearing for the first time that the God of the Bible, the God uh, who rose Jesus from the dead, is also the God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I heard that. Now, this is awesome. And again, my mind and my prayers started getting wild. And I was praying for private islands. I was praying for superpowers. I was praying for uh, to win the lottery and, you know, a, a, just a little career in the NBA as a basketball player. And as time went on and, and I prayed these prayers, no islands appeared. I never got the ability to fly and no million dollar win uh, came my way. And as I didn't make the 7th grade, 8th grade, or ninth grade basketball teams of my school, I realized, you know what, maybe I, I read it wrong. Maybe I need to pare back my imagination. It's obviously too big. And so it felt like it was time to pray for more accessible things. Like, I want to pray, God, like, maybe I could go to college and then maybe after that I could get a job, and maybe I could start a family, and that family would be healthy, and maybe I could have a car that, that works. And as we do in other areas of life, as we get older, we tend to let our imagination go. Because again, I, I just figured that they were just too big. But here's the problem. It, it wasn't that I had too big of an imagination. It's actually that my imagination as a child praying those prayers, it wasn't big enough. It wasn't uh, big enough for what God wants to do in my life and in the lives of others. I recently read a book, and I have a picture on the screen here, by Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's an agnostic uh, astrophysicist. And he wrote this book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. It's a, it's a little book, thin little book like this, and I, I wanted to get that for Christmas, and someone got it for me, and so I read through it, and it was pretty incredible. I mean, he is talking about the intricacies of the universe from quarks to quasars and protons and photons and stuff like microwave background radiation and dark matter and dark energy and all that, and my mind regularly is just, it's just, it's incredible. I remember one chapter in particular, he's just talking about something that we would think was boring, like the periodic table of elements. 
in every pair of them. I'm like, Rebecca, to my wife, Rebecca, you, you got to hear this. This is incredible. Did you know? Did you know? I mean, it was just amazing. And there are things going on in our universe, and the, the interrelatedness of it all was beyond what I could have imagined. But for Dr. Tyson, this uh, view of the world leads him to make statements like this, that we are stardust brought to life, then empowered by the universe to figure itself out. And we have only just begun. And people get pretty excited about this. They feel like, oh, it's the bigness, the vastness of the cosmos that now gives me purpose to live this big and important life. Because it sounds big. But for all the imaginative exploration that Tyson is willing to consider, you know, he's willing to bring in stuff like aliens and the multiverse and all this. But his view on what reality consists of is limited to what can be measured and quantified, like stardust. And I think, you know what? As big as his universe is, it's still not big enough. But what about for the believer? What about for the Christian? You know, we also accept this incredible physical world. And yet, we also believe in an uncaused creator God existing as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who spoke our universe into existence, who upholds all things by his word, and who is working out a plan in human history to rescue the people he created to be in relationship with him. And through this revealed word, he shows the plans that all point toward himself showing up in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to die on a cross and to be raised again for our sake so that all things will be restored and united under Christ for all eternity to the praise of God's glory. And I think, well, that sounds pretty wild too. In fact, a lot of those things, I don't think you could... Uh, come up with or have made up yourself. And you have to admit, it is an even bigger view than what is found in this book. Because there are many things that we're talking about that are certainly not physical, measurable, quantifiable, or just part of our temporal realm. So if that's where we're coming from, the question I have is this. Why then, for a lot of us, when it comes to our prayers, they consist primarily of things like this. God, help Aunt Ida's leg to get better. God, keep us safe on our drive. Lord, Jimmy needs help to find a new job. Now, before you get too defensive, I wanted to tell you all of those are very biblical requests. And they are good that we pray for health and safety and provision. And we need to keep praying for them. But what I just want to inject here is that that is all that we are praying for. Then we are missing out on something. Now, I know just bringing up the topic of prayer can inspire a lot of guilt. And I just want to say good job coming, knowing weeks in advance, if you were looking through that book, that we were going to be talking on prayer today. So thank you for still being here, even though my name was attached. I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And I know that we're all in different places in our prayer life, as we call it. Some of you, that's just not been a part of the equation at all. And some of you, you are regularly committed and involved in extensive prayer. And the rest of us are all somewhere in between. And that's why today, my hope is to expand your view of what you can pray for. 
and for some of you to start. But not just for things that an astrophysicist like Dr. Tyson sees or can measure, but for what God sees and is pleased to grant immeasurably more than all we can imagine. The big idea, the thing I'm hoping you're walking away with is that it's not just about praying more, but it's about praying bigger. That's what we're going to try to do today, and we're going to do that in chapter 3 of Ephesians, and we're going to do so through a series of five questions. The first question, question one is this, what part of you needs the most work? Now, I recognize that's a dangerous question to ask, and I'm not pointing it out to anyone in particular. You know, thoughts instantly go to our stomach, our legs, maybe our back, maybe backside. Anyways, we all have those target places that we wish could be a little different. For myself, it's this general kind of lack of muscle, not in one spot, just kind of everywhere. (laughs) I seem to have this chronic inability to make it to the gym or to work out in any sense. And I I was impressed recently when one of our youth staff, a guy by the name of Cody Nord, uh, because the the wedding day was coming up in his new marriage, he's like, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to make a concerted effort to get fit and get healthy for that day. At my point, with my four young kids and stuff like that, I make a concerted effort to stay alive, and that's just kind of where I'm at. But what part of you needs the most work? Now, take whatever came to mind and just sort of set that aside for a moment, because I think Paul would answer it differently for you. Look at verse 14 of Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's answer is not focused on your exterior, but your interior. He prays for your inner being. Gordon Fee, a a scholar of the Bible, calls this the the seat of our personal consciousness and moral being. Now, the Old Testament regularly uses the term heart to talk about that which is at the center of us, the center of our personality, the center of our thinking, the center of our will and our emotions. Basically, we're talking about this non-physical, non-measurable you that is you. Just as an example, if someone were to come up here and chop off my arm, that'd be really rude. I appreciate if you wouldn't. But let's say they did, I would become physically less, approximately about 10 pounds for a guy my size. But I would be no less Derek. I would be no less in my soul, in my spirit, in my inner being. It would be the same though it would be sad because it liked having two arms. Well, Paul speaks to this idea very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. After speaking to these physical difficulties, these afflictions and persecutions that he and others are going through, he makes this incredible statement. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Did you catch that? Isn't that amazing? Uh, On the one hand, he can be, and and we see this in the book of Acts recorded, that he can be beaten within inches of his life. He can be regularly thrown in prison. And yet there's this separate, immeasurable renewal happening within him. 
and not just for Paul alone, but for those who are believers who are suffering alongside of him. And so these, these two parts, this inner being and outer being, are both important, are incredibly connected. But right now, it's Paul's focus on what is God is doing on the inner self that gets him the most excited. It's what he cares about most. God is doing something internally that actually takes precedence over the external realities. Or just to put it simply, there's more to you than just your body. You're not merely stardust. You're not merely a collection of atoms or cells, but rather who you are is bigger than even maybe you think. Which leads us to the second question. Well, who's going to do the work? Because last time I went to the gym, which again, really long time ago, maybe they have a machine like this, but I don't think they have a machine for strengthening your inner being. Do they have one like that? Maybe, maybe that's a CrossFit thing. How's that going to work? Well, look again at verse 16. It says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, the work is something that God is doing by his spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is God, and it's God's personal presence to empower every believer in Christ to move beyond our natural selves to actually take hold of and to look upon Jesus so that we have Jesus in power and in knowledge and in maturity. Or as a 19th century Baptist pastor with a really great name, some pregnant people, there's some great names here, Octavius Winslow once said, all that we spiritually know of ourselves, I think the previous slide has the beginning of the scripture, no? Okay. Well, then you'll, you'll catch up on the end. All that we spiritually know of ourselves, all that we know of God and of Jesus and His Word, we owe to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And all the real light, sanctification, strength, and comfort we are made to possess on our way to glory, we must ascribe to Him. You see, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it was the, the power and the knowledge for the disciples to be able to witness to what Jesus had done. The Holy Spirit is the power and the knowledge behind Paul's preaching. And according to this prayer, he is the power that is at work within you and me. Now, there's no inner being machine at the 24-hour fitness, but what God provides is his own spirit to do the work within us, to create this kind of change in us. So how do we partner with the Spirit? Now, that's an important question to ask because the, the previous point, misunderstood, could lead you to think that we just don't need to do anything. We'll let the Spirit just kind of do that uh, exercise for us. But that's not true. In fact, there's two main ways to partner with the Spirit, the first being God's Word. This is what our series has been about. It's been called Unashamed, but the subtitle is this, God's Word Changes Lives. And the goal has been for that all of us would catch on to this joyful role of sharing God's Word with others, both non-Christians and Christians alike. The first week started on Easter with the incredible power of God's Word, that His Word has the power to create and in response to our sin to judge, but then also to save and to change us. The second week unpacked how change is a continuous journey for the Christian with God's Word and the Holy Spirit as the main ingredients of that change. Week three focused on the, the joy of partnering with God, holding his hand in public by actually speaking his words to other people. 
The last two weeks were about speaking God's word. What, what do we say? And then last week, how do we say it? And Paul does all this in Ephesians. He, he gives them God's word, sharing with them what God has done in Christ and what he has revealed so that it can be known and be obeyed. That's not all Paul does. Paul also prays. Prayer is the second part. Paul communicates truth, and then what does he do? He, what does he do? He prays that God will accomplish those very truths in the lives of his readers. Paul partners with the Holy Spirit in his prayer. And he begins by bowing his knee in reverence to the mighty king, a king that he calls dad, and who is dad to everyone who has placed their faith in Christ. And that relationship gives Paul the confidence to ask, to boldly ask, to audaciously ask, to ask in a prepared sense, or to ask in just an impromptu circumstance. You see, our position as children of God, sets us up to talk to him at any time. And he wants us to ask to, because prayer connects us to the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. And that's what Paul is doing in verse 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. These are requests that Paul is making of, of what God would do by his spirit. Now at South Shore's church, our mission is growing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And last August, we did a series, and we summed up that mission in a single word to try and make it even easier, called forward. And the idea was that every single one of us who is a follower of Christ has the opportunity and the responsibility and the joy to help others just take a single step forward towards Christ. For the non-Christian, that they would be rescued. For the Christian, that they would continue in their transformation. And the tools that God has given us to do that are what we're talking about right here. God's word and prayer, because his spirit is the one at work in us. It's the, it's the combination God has chosen to work through for our rescue and transformation. So then, what do we pray for? I mean, what do we pray for so that we're not focused solely on our outward selves? Well, looking back at Ephesians 3, Paul makes three bold requests that have to do with their inner being. And, and the first one we've already seen, and I'll read it again, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first idea of what Paul is praying for here is that our hearts would be fully owned. Our hearts fully owned. See, Paul is praying that the Spirit would strengthen us in our struggle against sin and the influence of the world around us. And what it looks like, Paul says, is Christ's permanent residence over your entire self. It's the idea that the Spirit strengthens you to turn more and more of your thoughts and your decisions and your emotions and your desires over to Jesus. When we first put our faith in Jesus, we, we hand him the throne. We recognize Jesus is the king, and we want him to rule in that way over our lives. And the spirit comes, and it changes the placard of that throne. And, it put, and he puts his seal on it. And Jesus is ready to rule us. But in our immaturity, in our sin, we keep saying, well, okay, yes in this area, but not this one. Or maybe a little bit in that area, but not these ones I have over here. 
And we hold back, and in response, Paul is praying that Christ would exercise his royal rule actively over all of us. And we need the power of the Spirit in order to do that. So Paul prays for our hearts fully owned. He also prays for Christ's love fully known. Continuing in verse 17, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's asking for the Spirit to strengthen us to to personally experience, to have knowledge and comprehension of this vast, multidimensional love of Christ. Uniquely enough, I don't know if you saw it, but Paul says, with all the saints, there's this aspect here where it's a project God is working in us with other people. Now, why do we need to do it together? And the best way I could think of it is like this. If you wanted to measure a cattle ranch, but all you had was a 30-foot tape measure, you'd need some other people. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to know, fully know and understand Christ's love. Do you think that could be a part of what you pray for? I mean, because for yourself, do you know the full extent of Christ's love for you? Or for your kids, do they? Do your neighbors know it? Do the people in your Bible study, does the person who's sitting in the chair in front of you? Probably not completely. Then you could be in prayer for that for them. You see, we don't just fall into this sort of understanding. It doesn't just happen to us in our own strength, our own mental reflection or intellectual exercise. We need God's Spirit to help us to measure the love which surpasses measurement and to know the love which surpasses knowledge. Those are paradoxes. But it's a paradox that beckons us to call upon God that He might move us forward by His Spirit to know it and to experience it truly knowing that no matter how much we discover, there will still be more of Christ's love to be found. So Paul prays for Christ's love fully known. Thirdly, he prays for God's presence fully grown. He ends the request with this, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, as Paul prays for our hearts to be fully owned and Christ's love to be fully known, the result is God filling us with his presence, the giving of his very self. It's a promise spoken of in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Paul prays that, you know, this has been done already. You have filled your church with your fullness. And yet there's an aspect of it that we haven't fully accomplished that. And so to be filled with God's fullness, to have His presence fully grown inside of us, that's what we talk about when we talk about reaching spiritual maturity. It's a fullness, I think, that in filling, God then actually expands who we are in our inner being and then fills us more, and we expand, and He fills us more, and so on for all eternity. So Paul prays that our hearts fully own, Christ's love fully known, and God's presence fully grown. And you may wonder, well, is it just here that Paul prays for these things? It's not. It's not just here that Paul prays primarily for our internal, what's going on inside of us. In fact, throughout the scriptures, if you were to make a list of all of Paul's prayers, oh, actually, I already did, um, and it's on the back of your notes in your bulletin. And, and I want you to have this as a resource. Because what it is is summaries to encourage you in expanding your prayers. 
but we weren't going to look at all of these today. But I'd love for you to continue to, to look at this, read them, and make these prayers for others. Because, and, but we had to start in one area. And in Ephesians 3, in this prayer, I love it because it encompasses so much of what God wants for you and for me to ask Him for. And so this isn't the, the fifth uh, final question, but another question we have, if we know that we're supposed to be praying for these things, how do we do that? What does it actually look like to pray for others like this? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it's not something you're quite ready to believe in, first just want to say I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you can be here and, and just hear and listen. These are things we really believe as we follow Christ. But there is something here. This, this sort of prayer isn't for you. It, it's for those who have the right, because of their faith in Jesus, to call on God as their Father. So instead of giving you a prayer to pray in your unbelief, I'd rather share with you my prayer for you. And that's that God would open up your eyes to see the spiritual realities of our world, that God would soften your heart and any hardness you have against God so that you can repent, that's the Bible word, which means recognize that you're not right with God and to turn away from what the Bible calls sin. And then that you would believe, believe that Jesus really is God and that he and he alone has paid the price that enables us to be forgiven and that enables us to have life and relationship with God. That's the bigger prayer. That's the starting decision, the starting place for life, and that's my hope for you. But we said before, the big idea is it's not just about praying more, but about praying bigger. And so if you're here this morning and you follow Jesus, but you just don't really pray, well, bigger for you would be to start. <laughs> it's time. And if you think, well, I just, I just don't really know, and it, it feels weird and stuff, I understand. I do. It is different. But I would ask you to say, you know what, maybe I could make Paul's model here my own. You can start with bowing your knees, and you can call on God as your father, and you can place someone else's name, someone you want to pray for, right there into the scripture in, where it says, Y-O-U, you. And it'll work. It's the prayer. You can pray it meaningfully. But for those of you who already prayer is a part of your walk with God, it's part of your life, and you, either you have a list of people you're trying to be praying for on a regular basis, or you have a mental list of people you pray for as God brings them to mind, but you find that those prayers, as we talked about before, are primarily physical. They're primarily about what you can, people can achieve or what they're going through and their needs. I want to say this, don't stop praying for those things but make it bigger. Pray for the physical need, and then because you're already praying for that person, pray for their internal spiritual need too. Should you pray for Aunt Ida's leg? Yes, but also that God would strengthen her inner being. Should you pray for Jimmy to find a new job? Absolutely, as well as that he'd find a profound new understanding of Jesus' love. You're going to start a road trip. Are you going to pray for the drive and safety? Absolutely. But also pray that along the way, Christ would be taking more ground in your hearts. Just to give you an example of this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, 
we shared actually two different weeks, something we hadn't done before. Uh, we should of Eddie Pike. He attends the 11 o'clock service at our church. He's been going here for a few years. And the first video was about how uh, by God's word and the prayer of his mom, I mean, he came to trust his life to Christ. And he's um, on fire for God and hasn't been the same since. The second week, we shared a video about the different struggles he's going through right now, primarily health struggles diabetes, pain in his legs, um, and that he had had a, a non-cancerous tumor in his head, and then he was getting a biopsy because there was a mass in his neck. Well, this week, on, uh, it was on Monday, I found out that he got the results back, and they were positive. He has cancer in his throat. And so I'm asking for you with Eddie as your example, to pray for your brother. Pray for God's healing. Pray that God would provide in the midst of this health struggle for even financial help. But don't let it stop there. Pray bigger. You can pray the greatest things for him by asking that his heart would be fully known and that Christ's love would be fully known to him and to his family. And you'd pray that the fullness of God would fill him even in and because of his health battles. In fact, we have a moment of time. Why don't you join me and I'm going to pray for Eddie right now. Father, we call upon you as your children, and we know that you hear us. We know that you answer us. And so we lift up our brother Eddie before you right now. Lord, he is going through scary stuff, and his, his body is not doing well, and it's hard to know what will come next. And so we ask that your healing hand would be upon him, we ask that you would provide for him and his family. Lord, his sweet daughter that he brings here to church. Lord, that you would help them to understand what's going on and that you would guide the doctors in their decisions. And we ask that he would be healed, but not our will, but your will be done. And yet, Lord, we also ask what you have shown us is clearly your will for Eddie is that he would be fully maturing in his knowledge of you, in his love for you, in the control that you have over his thoughts and actions and decisions. Lord, that you would be filling him with the fullness of all that you are. And in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, for Eddie's sake, for your kids' sake, your grandkids, your neighbor, your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't pray small because God is not small. He's bigger than the sickness. He's bigger than safety. He's bigger than success. So pray for the things that the Bible calls bigger too, namely what's going on inside of his people. Now we're going to put up some resources this week. If you haven't been to our church website, we have a blog where we provide articles and other thoughts on this thing. We'll have some practical tips on uh, improving your prayer life. I want to finish with one final question, though. And the question is this, how do we know that God will do this? How do we know that God will do this? Last Sunday, on May 19th, a guy by the name of Aaron Mitchcom made his way to an 8 a.m., graduation ceremony. Now, that is just not cruel for people who have made it all the way through the four years and then to have their graduation ceremony at 8 a.m. That's just tough. 
But that morning, I, I don't know what was going through Aaron's mind, if he was more worried about, you know, getting his tie straight or getting there on time or the fact that just nobody looks good in a grad cap and gown. But I do know what was going through his mind a couple weeks prior. You see, as he's getting to the end of his college career, he's starting to add up what his student loan debt was and how long it was going to take him to pay it off. $200,000 he had racked up. And he figured out that if he always gave half of his monthly paycheck towards it, it would take him about 25 years to pay it off. And so when nice, you know, uh, the band's playing and the speaker comes up, it all feels a little not so important for a guy who's that kind of weight on his shoulders. Right up until the moment that the speaker announces that he and his family, through a grant, are going to pay off the student loan debt of every graduating member of that class. I think that perked up his ears. In fact, he wept. He said, I was, I was shocked. My heart dropped. We all cried. I mean, this is a reaction photo of some other young men in that graduating class. It was incredible. And a week later, there's still articles being written about this incredible gift, and they're trying to process what had happened and how this will free them to, to live a life they just didn't think was possible. Now, a question you might want to ask them, though, but how do you know that the guy's really going to uphold his promise? Well, the guy who made the promise can give you about 4.4 billion reasons why he can uh, fulfill that promise. He's got it in the bank. Well, when Paul starts asking, asking God, he reminds us of the riches of God's glory. And, and what he's doing is he's reminding us that God is not as limited as some billionaire investor. No, his request isn't, his resources aren't limited to crude things like money. His resources are limitless, which is why Paul ends his request in praise, saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. As a kid, my imagination was so small because I had no idea the extent of the radical work that God wanted to do inside of me, far greater than a private island or any amount of money. And even though we don't fully know what that end result looks like and Paul didn't fully know, what he knew was this, God is able to do it. He will answer this prayer because it's what he wants and he's able to do it. But if we want to truly be sure that God can do this, we just have to look at the cross. As Paul elsewhere wrote in Romans 8, 32, he said, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, Jesus came and died, and he rose again, and he gave us his spirit, not just so we can avoid colds or cancer or have enough mac and cheese to make it through the week, not so we can have the best jobs or cars or houses, but so that we would glorify God by becoming like Jesus Christ to bear his fruit and to bear his message of good news in the world all by the power of God at work in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That is the God we worship. 
And he joyfully has so much more for you and for the people that you pray for. Greater than anything in the cosmos, he wants to give you immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. And here's the thing. He's not asking you to earn it. He's not even asking you to feel like you deserve it. He's saying, ask. And even in your weakness and when you fail to do so, he says, I give immeasurably more than even what you ask. So let's get back to that childlike imagination fueled by the realities of God's promises for you and others so that we don't just pray more, but we are unashamed to pray bigger. Join me again in prayer. For this reason, I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant the people of South Shore's church to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that the people of South Shore's church being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.